first of all, I just want to say um, it's been a brilliant seven months, I feel, um, of church life here in, in Emmanuel, Portadown. It's been wonderful to watch the Lord do great things amongst us. Surely the Lord has done great things, and we are filled with joy. Amen. Um, we're filled with joy because the Lord has done great things. Um, I don't think it could, you know, I don't think it could have went any better, basically. There you go. I've said it. I don't think it could have gone any better. You know, there's still things that we want to get right. There's still things that we want to improve on. There's still things we want to develop. But it couldn't have gone any better. God has exceeded my imaginations and my expectations. And not only has, uh, have, uh, do I feel my heart warmed and excited and full of gratefulness for who God is and what he's done, but I also feel warmed and grateful for all the new family that I have come to know, come to call my own family and friends. I feel God has weaved people's lives together in the most beautiful way. I feel that we've been caught up in mission. And I suppose why I feel so grateful is because it really does feel like um <laughs> yes it really does feel like a family on mission uh, it really does feel that and that's a simple little statement but you, you can't you could be just a people on a mission with not much family and you could be just a family without any mission and i really feel that this feels like a family on mission now as i say we're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination but I really do feel that God is doing something wonderful amongst us. And uh, I feel blessed by the team of people, the team of leaders God has brought around us and, um, and, and, all, and all of you. It's been great to be aware that God is calling us to a sense of vision and mission to rewrite the story of our city, Ireland, and the nations with the good news of the kingdom of God. Like Nehemiah, who we've been inspired by over the last six months, who had a vision for his city that was a reproach in the eyes of many. Uh, to become an alternative type of community that would reflect something of the heart of who God is. And so the six practices that we feel are important in not just fulfilling the vision, but in the terms of, uh, or the mission, in terms of the family that one would become, are, are these six practices which we have preached over the last six months or so. And, and uh, our love, you see, has to look like something. Our family has to look like something. You get a sense of a family's ethos or way or culture if you hang around it for a certain length of time. And I suppose, well, there's other things as well. These are six values that aren't just values in terms of words in a page, but we want to actually practice these things in that we want them to become part of our lives. We want them not just to be uh, great phrases, but we want them to be verbs, if you like, doing words. We practice the presence. We mobilize mission. We're committed to growing as a family, loving one another. We want to invest in our young people and leave a legacy behind us, not just see them as the church of uh, tomorrow, but see them as the church of today. We want to train leaders. We want to see everyone equipped to fulfill the destiny that God has for us. And we want to strive for unity in the kingdom. And we want all of these practices not just to be words on a graphic or words on stone, as the Bible might say, but things that are really written on our hearts, embedded in to us, which is why we've taught them and hopefully prayed them into our hearts and our lives over the last six months. And so we're going to be talking about those while not necessarily teaching on these things in, in, the, in, the, in the short term. We will be reiterating them 
day after day, week after week, because we feel that those are the circles that we keep circling around because they create in us the people that we feel God is calling us to be. And so we want to be a deeply spirit-led people walking in the radical ways of Jesus with these things written on our hearts, which is why we're more interested in who we're becoming and who God's calling us to be than we are about making a name for ourselves, which is why we haven't even got a sign yet as a church, because it's coming, don't worry. But to be honest, it wasn't really our priority about, by the way, we are here, does everybody see us now? It's much more like, could who we are start to speak for itself? Could who God is creating us to be start developing a fragrance that other people are drawn to? Could that be our priority? Could we get more interested in how we're becoming more like Jesus than we are about making a name for ourselves? And, uh, and that's the kind of people that we feel God has created this calling us to be. We'd rather let God draw attention to what he's doing rather than attract people by our coolness, right? Because uh, I came to realize after I went over the 30 bracket, I wasn't really that cool anymore. So it's good. You become more dependent on Jesus, yeah, and uh, his presence in our lives. And so I hope in teaching through these over the last six months has helped you understand who God is calling us to become. But as I, as I was just thinking about today, I just want to take 10 or 15 minutes here to share some thoughts. Because where we feel, just let me frame it by saying this, where we feel summer is a really important time for rest and recuperation. It's a great time, isn't it, to give our families some undiluted kind of time and affection and friendships. Get um, just a little bit more time to breathe and to hang out. And it's been a busy season. And, and it's really, really important that we take our rest and we recuperate well. But I just really feel, and not just me actually, as we've discerned this as a leadership team together, we really feel it's important, I think, over the summer that we try to keep our spirits tuned and attuned to what the Lord is doing. Because we think that the Spirit, we're more than think, I think we're pretty convinced that the Spirit is, is, is pouring more of himself out. And actually the reason that he wanted a people here in Emmanuel was to learn how to host his presence well in this town that he loves dearly and passionately. And so as we become aware of his Holy Spirit in recent days, I feel that God is calling us to steward the movements of the Spirit in very reverent ways, in very reverential ways, with a healthy dose of the fear of the Lord in our hearts, and to help create a wineskin that can contain the movements of his Spirit. Because if God pours himself out in a way that people uh, encounter him in a, in a deep way, you know, the, the worst thing that could happen is the wine gets spilled. Yeah. It needs to be contained properly and stewarded well, which is why we're going to teach on the Holy Spirit. And so with that in mind, as we, as we go into the summer, I feel like we can still be in a posture, it's maybe the best word to use, a posture of preparation of heart. We can be in a posture where our hearts are open and attuned to the Spirit of the Lord and to be hungry for a fresh encounter of his presence. And I think sometimes that feels a bit counterintuitive, particularly to me, who, who, who has kind of pretty much been involved in church leadership most of his life because you're used to thinking that God comes when you kind of build things in the middle of all the activity. But actually, when you look at the life of Jesus, it's not necessarily that. It's usually when he takes time aside that it's when he appears most hungry to be with the Father. And, uh, and so as we go into our holidays, our holiday mode, and kids get off school and all of that, and the kind of dynamic in our 
psychologically kind of seems to shift and change a little bit. I just encourage you maybe even this week to take some time to open up your heart to the wind of the Spirit of God, to blow in you afresh. And sometimes actually, you know, people say a change of um, environment brings a change of perspective. And often just a change of environment that we have, even if we're not necessarily going anywhere, but just the fact that it's July and August and it's notorious and this kind of part of the world for it being holidays, maybe that change of environment allows you not necessarily go into kind of the but you know what I mean when I say that? But like just like nothingness, um, even though we need just like put our feet up and all of that, but let us go into a place of hearts being open to the wind of God. And so I want to read Matthew 17 and leave you with some thoughts before we worship some more, just to try and make the point. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And Peter said to the Lord, Lord, it is good for us to be here. (laughs) Peter's brilliant, isn't he? He's like, no, just in case, Lord, you you couldn't have done this without me. It's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is one of these passages that you could meditate on for days. And throughout my life, I have. Uh, I love this scripture. And there's a few things I want to draw out that I think emphasize the points I was just trying to make a few moments ago. And the first one's very simply is this. Jesus wants to give us a fresh glimpse of his glory. These guys knew Jesus really well. They hung out with him every day. So it's not like they didn't know Jesus. They were spending their lives with them. But you know what? Jesus realized that they needed to see something new. And so he took them up a mountain. Jesus had come and he'd made his home amongst these guys. He took on the limitations of humanity and he cloaked himself in humanity. And he went through all the temptations that they went through as well. And so there was a degree to which... Jesus became familiar to them in a beautiful way. Can you imagine the humility of who God is Yeah, for him? The theologians talk about it, the humiliation of Christ in terms of how he, you know, as Philippians 2 says, he took those steps down from heaven. You know, it's amazing how Jesus comes and meets us right at our point of need and familiarizes himself, if you want to put it like that, with humanity. And so these guys knew that and they had encountered that. And Jesus had become their rabbi, I suppose, but also their friend. Yet we must remember this. As amazing as it is for us to think about how Jesus comes to us in this way, we must remember this. He is not us. (laughs) He becomes like us, but he is not us. He He is Lord. He is the one whose face shines like the sun in all its brilliance. He is the one who is dazzling in 
white. He is the Lord of the universe. He is the King of glory. He was there before time and he will be there after time. He will live in this way that the disciples saw him and we will see him forever and ever and ever in eternity. And the disciples got a glimpse of this. It's like the window got open and for a moment they saw Jesus in all of his glory. And I suppose my sense this morning is that uh, while we're so thankful that the Lord has veiled his glory, stepped down onto earth and became like us so that we could become like him, that he is still the Lord, the Lord Jesus. He is still the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the one that all the world was waiting for. He is the most beautiful person that has ever existed in time. Think about the most beautiful thing that you've ever seen. Whether it's the face of your own child smiling back at you. Whether it's the horizon that you've seen um, that has taken your breath away. Jesus is more beautiful than it all. In fact, all the beauty that we know comes from who he is. Jesus is the most glorious, beautiful person that has ever lived. He is the vision. He is the one that we live and we worship. And Jesus, here's the thing, invited Peter, James, and John into this encounter, into this place to see him, to know him. And he knew if they saw it, it would change them forever. And if it changed them, it would change the world. And it did. And so I think that Jesus, like the disciples, is calling you and me up the mountain this summer. So, the thing about it is, right, you don't have to do much up a mountain. It just takes a bit of effort to get up there, yeah, doesn't it? Right? You, you just, uh, and maybe very physically or practically, if you're able, you might want to go, go up a mountain as a bit of a prophetic kind of symbol of that. But more importantly, in, in, in our hearts, I think, you know, Jesus is calling us to that place to see him afresh, just to see Jesus, to take time aside, And to be intentional with our time so that we can have a place of encounter. You see, we think about, the the word when we talk about a mountaintop experience, it's become like the phrase that we use for an emotional high. Hasn't it? Like, so a mountaintop experience is like, oh, it was an amazing meeting. I'm just like on the top of the mountain and I'm like, you know, hoping like I don't come down any day soon. It's a bit more of an emotional high than it is necessarily a really deep encounter of the Lord. But when I look at these kind of times of people up mountains with God, they're deep, deep, deep encounters of the intimacy of who God is. And they're kind of fear of the Lord moments. They're kind of times when people fall down on their face and think they may die because so strong is the glory and the beauty of Jesus. I think that's where the Lord wants us to go over the summer. I also realized that mountaintops are, this phrase came into my head this morning when I was just preparing, as contested places of worship. You see, in the Old Testament, it tells us that the kings, part of the reason that the kings didn't follow God is because they built idols up on the mountaintops, or the prophets would talk about how they prostituted themselves on the hills, right? And so mountains seem to be quite a significant place. Symbolically, there's perspective. You see things at a different level, a different scale when you're on a mountaintop. They change your perspective of things. You get a sense of your own smallness and God's own bigness and the, you know, all of that and the world's smallness in comparison to who God is. <clears throat> and so my question is, 
God wants to take us to the mountain, it's a contested place of worship. And so maybe for you that means, and for me that means going into some of the places that we're going to have to contest for to give Jesus a lordship of our lives. There's maybe some places that that mountaintop speaks of. It could go one way or the other. There's a few things in our lives that, you know what, if we could, we could build our own altar here, or we could see Jesus. And, and so there's a the degree to which we have to contest for some places in order to fill them with worship. There were places, there were places where people just didn't know the deeds of God. You see, what I, what I realized when you, when you look at it, that's a bit of a generalization, but when you look at the Bible, you realize that most of the people know the deeds of the God on the ground, right? They know the deeds of God or the acts of God on the ground, but you find out the ways of God on the mountaintop. There's a scripture in Psalm 103, and it says that Moses, the, the children of Israel knew the deeds of God or the acts of God, but Moses knew his ways. So my question to you is, what do you want? Do you want to be content with the deeds? Or would you like to know the acts of God? See, that's that level of intimacy. See, most of you know Rachel's acts. You know her deeds. She's a dentist, and she... You know, she does this, she does that, she does the other. Because she's my wife and I'm one with her, I get to know her ways. And God wants us to know his ways. He wants us to beat with his heart. He wants us to be sensitive to the movements of the spirit. And sometimes you have to go to the mountain to know that. And so the application is, what are the places that are contested within you? Let Jesus lead you to those places. Remember, Jesus took Peter and John to that place. Jesus wants to go to that place, that mountaintop in your life that may be contested so that you can realize his glory and his beauty afresh. And sometimes, <clears throat> I want to I wanna maybe challenge those of us who have been around Christian things, and maybe not just that actually, but for a while now. You see, in this passage, it's interesting, isn't it? Moj and Elijah up here. Like, how freaked out would you have been if you're Peter, James, and John? All of a sudden, there's like the heroes of the faith, like just showing up on a mountaintop, right? Talking to Jesus, whose who's brilliance, uh, uh, the sun on his face, is the, the brilliance of the sun on his face, dazzling white. Then Elijah and, and, and Moses just they drop by for fun. Interestingly, they have two mysterious deaths. Moses sounds like God buried him or took him or whatever. Elijah's caught up in a cloud, right? So two pretty supernatural figures, if you like, but they were the pillars in which Judaism was formed. So Moses represented the law. Elijah represented the prophets, the two kind of pillars of Judaism that the Israelites were schooled in. And so these were important parts of a good Jew's legacy, their understanding of the religion, part of their story. But this is the day when the story is becoming fulfilled. Jesus is saying, you need to hear and see something new. And so for those of us who love to reminisce, and I'm including this, of the things that God has done in the past, in a, in a corporate way, but maybe even in a very personal way, Jesus is maybe wanting you to see those as just Moses and Elijah and to push beyond those to see him and to see him and him alone. Because it tells us in verse 8 of that passage that when they looked up after this, they saw no one except Jesus. And some of us, I think God is saying this, you need to go into a season of your life where you see no one except 
Jesus. I think that's what he's saying to us. He wants us to see past those other things and see him. And so the second thing I just want to finish with is saying we need a fresh glimpse of Jesus and kind of overlapping. We need spirit to be spirit-led over man-made structures. Now, it's easy just to say that about church life, which it's applicable to, but you sometimes just in our own lives where we're settled for man-made stuff over being led by the Spirit. The thing that gets me about this passage every time, because I see myself in it so much, is Peter's response. Peter has an encounter, and he wants to build something. That is me all over. Jesus, that was a great meeting. Here's what we can do now. Here's how we can take the world for you because we just encountered your presence. Now we can do this. We'll build three altars, Peter says. One for Moses, one for for the three greats. Yeah, this is Moses, the epitome of the law. Here's Elijah, who's the epitome of the prophetic tradition. And here's you, Jesus, and we'll build three altars. Would not be a great thing to do because we'll build three booths, some of your translation says. And that's an even more... um, more uh, intelligent, if you like, thing to do, Peter's probably thinking, because there was actually a festival. So you have a festival of Passover, the festival of Pentecost in Jewish kind of Jewish, and you had the festival of booze or festival of tabernacles, which was a celebration and a reminder of those days when um, the children of Israel were led out of slavery and through the wilderness in tents, basically, a, a, a tabernacle, a feast of tents. And so Paul, P- Peter's probably sit, sitting there going, this is a brilliant kind of uh, theological kind of strand that I'm weaving together here. We could build three booths, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Jesus. And God pretty much rebukes him. It's actually quite funny. It says, while Peter is still speaking, it's like, God, is that not just a bit rude? You've just like spoken over the top of this guy. But he's like, Peter, there's moments we just kind of need to shut up. In a nice way. And I remember about five years ago, I was driving in the car and felt the Lord rebuke me in the gentle way that he does about this passage. And I wasn't necessarily thinking about doing anything particular, but for some reason, just driving the car, this passage came into my head. And I thought about Peter and how I'm like Peter. When I see Jesus, here's my response. Something instinctively inside me goes, I want to build. And God said back to me, no, son. You will worship. Let me build. No. You just worship. You just worship. You just see nobody but Jesus only. You just fix your eyes on him again. Listen to him because Jesus transcends Moses. And Jesus transcends Elijah. And Jesus is the son of the living God. And God the Father is jealous for his son. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. Be obsessed with Jesus. Be captivated by the beauty of Jesus. Let your life be undone by the glory of Jesus. Let the vision for your life be Jesus. Listen to the Son of God, the author of our salvation, the perfecter of our faith, the one who was there in the beginning, the one who was there in the end. Listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. And so when we see Jesus and when we glimpse them, a bit like maybe we felt just during worship there, what, is, what, is, what does the Father say? Go a wee bit further. 
go, go even further for that level of intimacy. And when they hear God speak, and Peter gets rebuked, it says they fall down as though dead. And then Jesus comes along and says, lads, don't be afraid. And then it says they saw no one except Jesus. You can only be free of fear when you see no one but Jesus. Because if you see other things, they're not supposed to fulfill you the way Jesus can. So if you've got fear in your life, it's because, speaking to myself first and foremost, but bluntly, it's because you've, you want to be in control. And that's maybe just your personality. It might be because there's been deep pain and wounds in your life and you don't want to get hurt again. And so you have developed control issues. But you only control things because you're afraid of it might happen if you're not in control. But you can only be free of fear once you see no one but Jesus. And because it saw no one but Jesus, Jesus could say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And so I think Jesus is calling us to be for a fresh glimpse of Jesus, but he's also calling us to be a people of the Spirit. Not quick to build structures. We need structures, but they need to serve the Spirit. No matter how religious or holy they seem, we see Jesus and we push for intimacy with him. Let us not domesticate the wildness of the Spirit of God. Let us not try to tie things down so we can be in control of them. Let us have the courage to go into the places that are unknown where Jesus wants to take us. That's all I've got to say this morning. So what I want to do now is toss you to come and see and Jack and um, just love us to respond to the Lord for a moment this morning. I'd love us to. We're, um, we've got 15 minutes or so here and we're just going to worship a little bit and got time to go to the park afterwards and hang out together which is great but just almost as we uh, get ourselves as we think about summer season as we reflect on the last seven months of teaching through the practices and the people that God wants us to be I just uh, love us to set our hearts to, to lean towards the Lord maybe maybe just in these moments why don't you just bow your head and just allow the Holy Spirit, well, you don't have to bow your head, that's a bit of a, like a religious thing to do, but if it helps you to pray, go for it. Um, but just as you, you sit there and, 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 and meditate on the Lord a little bit, just why don't you let the Holy Spirit just speak to you maybe about some of the things very practically, that maybe the Holy Spirit is just pinpointing you on or around, that you could do over the next number of weeks and months to go up that mountain and maybe even in these moments the Lord wants to show you what that specific mountain means for you in your life or he wants you to give a fresh glimpse of himself Lord I pray in these moments with all the stuff that's going on in our lives some of which is really important and some of which isn't I pray Lord that you just help us in these moments just to see to see no one except Jesus 
Lord, if that's um, stuff that's really, really tough, it's not because you're not interested in that, but you just want us to see you beyond it, or not even beyond it, but right in the middle of it. And Lord, for those of us who it's past blessings that we're kind of living off, that even in these moments you'd give us the courage to go to a new place, to face the unknown with you, Spirit of the living God. God, I just want to pray for us as a church too. Lord, well, numbers will fluctuate in the next couple of months as people take well-earned holidays and breaks and things like that. God, I, I want to pray though that while we do gather here, God, I want to consecrate these two months for you, for your spirit to come in new ways. We thank you for what we've known of your presence, Lord. But I want to ask, um, I want to be bold enough, Lord, to ask for double of what we've already known, God. I want to ask that you would double the sense of your presence, that you would increase it. And God, I want to ask that your spirit would come in power. Rest on us, God. Change and transform us. Lord, while our bodies need rested, God, and our souls need restored in this season of life, God, we pray even as the sun shines today, that, Lord, in a way that <clears throat> doesn't make us busy, your spirit would shine into our hearts, oh God. And the gentle breeze of your spirit, Lord, would blow in our hearts and our souls, our minds. And Lord, as we get on with our everyday lives, as we pray around the park, we pray that what you're doing in here, God, you would do out there. Thank you, Jesus.